you're locked in on the Leafs Line Podcast alongside your host, Mario Russo, an RTA media student and lifelong Leafs fan. Tune in each Sunday afternoon to find Russo covering all things Leafs until you're blue in the face. Russo will also dive in and dissect all the news and highlights across the NHL, bringing an in-depth analysis of a busy week in professional hockey. It's time for Leafs Line. We are back on the Lease Line Podcast, the season two debut. Hello, everyone. My name is Mario Russo, and joining me for the second season of the Lease Line Podcast is a fresh cast, fresh faces, and a fresh thing to look at. I will introduce them in just a second. But before we get there, we have a busy week to talk about in hockey. And I wouldn't say week, but maybe in the last couple of months, and looking at what these teams have done and where they've gone to themselves. Because guess what? Trade deadline has been way past us. The offseason is way past us, and we are now approaching training camp. And even more importantly, the opening night of the season, just over, just under actually, a month away. And as we prepare for that, we will be getting into the Atlantic Division, the moves that those teams have made, and what will we be grading them uh, so far. And we'll also be setting the bar for the blue and white. Where does that bar even lie is the big question that has been on everyone's minds in the GTA. We'll be getting into that. And, of course, the Toronto Maple Leafs, it wouldn't be complete if we didn't dissect their offseason moves. It doesn't look like they'll be making any other major ones. So we'll be taking a deep dive into seeing what those mean for the team in this upcoming season and maybe giving them a grade as well. So without further ado, I will introduce my fellow peers that will be doing the Leafs Line podcast. This is the cat for the upcoming season and the way first i'm going to turn it to adamo introduce yourself and uh just say what's up yeah for sure uh thank you for having me on this season's edition my name is adamo Romoli. i am a first year student at ryerson studying sport media with uh, these four guys and i'm a diehard leaf fan just pumped to be here all right, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm going to turn it over quickly to Evan Davis. Evan, what do you got for us here? Oh, well, just want to say thank you for having me. I, I've been watching my dad do his podcast and radio show for the past eight years, and now it's finally my turn to join. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a diehard Leafs fan, but i am definitely been getting into it over the past couple of years. They got an exciting club up here in the six. And the city will do you well. I mean, we'll be teaching you just about everything you need to know about the Leafs, the good, the bad, and mostly the ugly, because that's what we've been pretty much seeing over the last couple of years. And finally, which I believe the biggest Leaf fan on this show, maybe even bigger than me, I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Rottenberg. What do you got prepared for us, my man? Uh, hi, so I'm Jared Rotenberg. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And as you mentioned, I am a diehard Leafs fan. I'm sitting right here in my dorm room at Ryerson University next to my Leafs flag, my Leafs rally towel, my Leafs wall poster. I'm a massive Leafs fan, and as you may know, that comes with a lot of difficulty, especially these past few years, especially last season. But I'm excited for a new season of Leafs hockey, and I'm really excited to be on this podcast. And I'm really glad to have you on. It's going to be a great season, a great cast we got here, and we'll get right into it now. So usually we kick the show off with the Toronto Maple Leafs dissecting their news and all that. This time, we're going to end off with them and go off on a 
I'd hope a pretty positive note because their offseason has been pretty adequate to say the least. Uh, again, we'll be dissecting that later on in the show. But to kick it off, we'll be getting into the Boston Bruins. And yeah, Least Line Podcast, you wouldn't want to start off the show with a team and a rival like the Bruins. But here we are in alphabetical order, nonetheless, getting into their acquisitions and some guys that left the team. And most notably, one of these guys and a big staple in the Boston Bruins organization is David Krejci. He's leaving to play in the Czech Republic. And another player here who the Boston Bruins and their fans haven't gotten too much time to know, Vlader, has been shipped off to Calgary for picks. Now, this was all said and done a couple months ago, but it's still news in this offseason realm that we are discussing. And just to bring in these uh, these guys that they brought into their team, Nick Foligno, the former Maple Leaf, who I have a pretty big bone to pick with Nick Foligno. We'll begin to that in just a bit. But he signed a two-year deal at 76 Derek Forbert also made his way to the Bowtown and Beantown, that is. Three years, $9 million. Eric Halla, well, big signing. I thought it was one of their best ones yet. Uh, two years at 4.75. Linus Allmark, four years at 20. They finally have a decent goaltender to aid Tuka Rask if he does end up playing this season. And Thomas Nosek, two years at 3.5. Mike Riley, three years at 9. And the biggest signing of them all, the most massive money one right here, Taylor Hall signs a four-year extension with the Bruins. He was acquired last trade deadline, $24 million. So the big question lies on the minds of Bruin fans and fans of the hockey is like, how close will the Bruins be in gaining that first place spot in the Atlantic? Because I think it's fair to say they have a decent shot at making it. Would you agree with me, Adamo? The Bruins, I think, every year we think the Bruins, you know, they're going to get worse. This core is aging, even though they're not. Pasternak still isn't even 30. Uh, Marchand's not that old. But I, I really think the Bruins are still going to be a fantastic team. I think their depth has always been fine. You know, adding Nick Felino is a huge signing. Uh, obviously, bringing back Taylor Hall is even bigger at a very, very, very team-friendly deal. So I think $6 million for Taylor Hall. I think I think Coleman got what four point five, so that's a steal for Hall. Mike Riley was a really good signing too, another team friendly deal that will age nicely. I think Mike Riley can be a number three defenseman, maybe a number four defenseman. So I definitely think this team could come first over, well, pick Florida, Tampa, or even um, who's the other team there, Toronto. Yeah, it's going to be a wild card for that first place spot. It's obviously up in the air. I mean, uh, so many good teams, competitive hockey is all we're going to be seeing throughout the season in this Atlantic division. Uh, you can go, you couldn't go wrong with picking one of these teams to finish atop the list. And the Boston Bruins, their depth pieces that you add, uh, that they added, that you mentioned, is definitely a big reason why you could cast their name into the ballot for that first place spot. They've obviously gotten better. I, I don't think you could look at this as an angle where they've gotten worse, uh, especially bringing in, uh, extending rather. Uh, Taylor Hall, Mike Riley, and bringing in Nosek and uh, Halla. And finally, adding some stability in the goaltender situation with Linus Allmark, who I want to turn this one over to Evan just a bit. Uh, What do you think of Linus Allmark? Before you get into just the the question I was asking, Adamo, how close are the Bruins going to be for that first play spot? But what are your thoughts on Linus Allmark? I know he had a pretty decent career down in uh, Buffalo so far. what do, we, what do we think of him, and what do you think he's going to bring to this team with his first year in the Boston Bruins organization? Yeah, I think that was a real sneaky move by uh, Mr. Don Sweeney because Linus Olmark, you got to give him a little bit of credit here. It is hard being a goalie in Buffalo, and in the 20 games that he played, he had a 2.63 goals against average, 
save percentage just over 900. And I mean, that's for 20 games in Buffalo to have a save percentage over 900 where your defense is just atrocious. I think that's a really great move. And he's only 28 years old. He's got a two-year deal, I believe, or uh, he signed a four-year deal. So he's got there until he's 32. I think he can turn into the starting goaltender these next four years for Boston. I think that was a real sneaky move by Don Sweeney to acquire him because he definitely has potential. Yeah, the potential is there and the age is there as well. I mean, he only is... Uh, I'm going to pull it up here. 28 years old. So he's got a lot of time to develop. Obviously, he's entering the uh, entering the beginning of his prime. So I think he's going to be a leader with this Boston Bruins team. We were discussing this with my other gang on the season one episode when the news first broke. And we were all saying the same thing. Like, he is a solid goaltender. And to have a, put up an over 900 save percentage with an ugly Buffalo Sabres team, one of the ugliest franchises, might I add, that we saw play uh, last season. The team, we're going to get to them in just a bit. It uh, hasn't been much better with this year's uh, goaltender roster and as well as the roster in general. But uh, I think he's going to be a key piece in the Boston Bruins' ability to maybe obtain that first place spot in the Atlantic. I think he's going to have to go uh, all cylinders running for this Boston Bruins team. I think it's going to go all through him. And, of course, you could even throw in that perfection line up top. Uh, they're going to be pretty playing a pretty vital role if the Boston Bruins want that first place spot. And they're going to have to take these games in the division, these divisional games. They're seeing the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, and also the Toronto Maple Leafs, all these teams fighting for that spot. I'm going to turn it over to you, Jared, just now. Uh, what do you think of the Boston Bruins and their moves that they made in the offseason? Uh, they added a lot of depth pieces. So do they have an ability and a, a decent shot at making that first place spot in this heavily talented Atlantic division? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely really like their offseason. Uh, if I'm looking at a grade I'd give them, I personally would give them an A-. I really think they made good moves this offseason. I think locking down Taylor Hall for another four years was a great decision uh, at a reasonable cost. That $6 million per year is a great move. Uh, and as you mentioned, that perfection line up top, that's always going to be perfect. Uh, the job in the offseason with the Boston Bruins is setting down their team uh, debt. And I think they did a great job doing that. I think Nick Foligno is a great addition. Eric Hall is a great addition. Uh, and as, as much as I hate to say it, I think Boston did very well this offseason. And they definitely, I think, will be fighting uh, to get that first place spot. I personally just got feeling don't see them getting it. I think there's just so many competitive teams in this division, uh, such as obviously Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and many other sneaky teams. But uh, I do think they'll be in the mix. They'll be in the fight. Uh, I see them making the playoffs, maybe not first place, but they'll, they'll be in the mix for sure. They're a great team. Yeah, and I do think it's going to have to be reserved for the, that those top four spots. And we could debate about this maybe later in the show, but I think those top four spots, and in no particular order, the Boston Bruins are going to take one of those spots, the Florida Panthers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning. All of those teams are going to be fighting for, oh, I think, fighting for that first spot, but more so are going to be in the mix for that top four in the division. And I'm going to just turn it back over to you, Evan, and, of course, Adamo as well, just for you guys to provide your grades. Uh, I forgot to ask you guys that question as well. But we'll be getting into the grades for every other team as well, uh, just for the listeners to know. So, Evan, what would you grade the Boston Bruins offseason uh, on a letter basis like Jared provided us with? I mean, I I went, I guess, a little higher than Jared. I went A on this because I believe they replaced what they lost in the offseason while managing to keep the key guys. You know, you lose David Krejci, you bring in uh, Nick Foligno, you, you know, you're, you lost... Uh, Zdeno Chara last year, you bring in an enforcer like Derek Forbert, who's just known for leaving guys with concussions. 
I mean, you bring it, you bring back Mike Riley, three years, nine million. I mean, he's a great defensive defenseman who has offensive upside. And then you also get Taylor Hall. I don't know how Don Sweeney does it with these contracts and how Peter Shirelli does it. You get Taylor Hall at six million a year for four years, like after he just won MVP not too long ago. I mean, I just don't know how they do it. And I, it's it, it was incredible. I think they had a great offseason. And uh, I gave them an A. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. I think they did make some decent strides, more than decent strides, uh, getting better in uh, their own ways. And just to mention, you commented on Taylor Hall staying with the Boston Bruins on a really cheap deal for him. You mentioned he was almost, he was not even almost, he was the MVP uh, a couple years ago, which feels like forever with these COVID times. However, he was an MVP and to get him for that cheap, well, why would Sweeney do that, and how did he do that? Well, I think it could be, and obviously I'm no GM, I'm nowhere close to that status at all, but this is just thinking of a side of the box. Maybe it's because this team, the Boston Bruins we're talking about, they're always a winning group. Do you ever see the Boston Bruins struggling like maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs would on a certain stretch of games? Yes, they have their ups and downs, but this Boston Bruins team always finds a way to stay afloat, and they're always punching their ticket past that first round, usually the second round, and maybe this is where it gets a little spiral here. The third round and, of course, the Stanley Cup is nothing they can really ever achieve uh, in these, these recent years. But I think this winning record that the Bruins have, this mentality, persuades a lot of these players to stay here, come here, and, of course, come here for cheap. And I think Taylor Hall is just another attest to that. And Adamo, I'm going to turn this over to you right now. Uh, what grade would you give the Boston Bruins for their uh, offseason moves throughout this entire, I guess you could say, two, three months or so? Yeah, so I went with uh, Jared in giving him an A-. Uh, I love their signings up front. I love the Linus Olmark signing. I think that's a fantastic signing. The only issue that I'd say I have with the Bruins offseason was they didn't really address that getting a real number two defenseman. Uh, I think Charlie McAvoy, hot take, is probably a top two defenseman in the league. I absolutely love the way that guy plays. Even though he's not really big, he's elite at defending the rush, defending the cycle. He can move the puck. But I love the Mike Riley signing, but you know, you look at their defensive core now, it's a little bit bare. And maybe I'm just being a salty Leaf fan, but Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick, Brendan Carlo, Mike Riley, you know, I don't think that defense is on the upper echelon of the league, other than Charlie McAvoy, of course. But an A-minus, nevertheless, I think Taylor Hall is an unreal signing. I could even call that – I'd call that one of the best contracts in the league, even though Taylor Hall hasn't been able to produce. I think with Boston, he really looks like he's changed his game. It looks like he's you know enjoying it out there, unlike when he was playing in Arizona or New Jersey or even Edmonton. So – Still a very good offseason, so I give them an A-. minus. Yeah, and the defense, I would have to agree with you there as well. The defense is kind of loose. I mean, McAvoy and uh, Mike Riley are definitely no pushovers. And I would even say that a lot of these guys in this Boston Bruins decor aren't pushovers either. I think we see it time and time again in the playoffs when they uh, run their team and how they play. It's always a physical matchup when you're going against these Bears. And... Uh, I think it's going to continue within the season. I think it always does when you're talking about this Boston Bruins team. But again, no real big star power on this defensive core. So I don't know if it's going to be something that's going to bite them in the long run in this season. Maybe it's going to be working to their advantage. They're going to have these contracts that are pretty pretty low for a defending team. I think these contracts are going to be pretty beneficial for them. But I could totally sway the other way depending on the star power that they don't 
on that defensive end. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I think that's a phrase I've been using a lot in this offseason because there's really no telling. There's a lot of wild cards in the Atlantic Division. But I think the one wild card that we're not going to be seeing make any contention at all is the Buffalo Sabres. And I know we don't got too many Buffalo Sabres fans listening across the GTA. And if you were, I don't think you'd want to admit you were a Buffalo Sabres fan. But here we are discussing this team and what an ugly team to discuss. They have lost much more than they have gained. Uh, one of those, including Sam Reinhart. He was traded to the Florida Panthers, a division rival here for Devin Levi and a first round pick that they used in this year's, uh, this past draft. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen traded this offseason for Robert Hag, a first round pick, and of course, a 2023 uh, second round pick. Henry Yokiharu uh, was signed. He was something that the Buffalo Sabres brought in, a veteran defenseman, three years, 7.5. Casey Middlestat was brought in, three years, 7.5. Aaron Dell was signed, one year and 750,000. Uh, and Craig Anderson matched that contract as well. This is the big question I have to ask you guys. Is this rock bottom for Buffalo and their fan base? Because I, I, I don't think you compare a worse goalie tandem in the league right now when you're talking about going with Aaron Dell and Craig Anderson. Yes, they got uh, Devin Levi in the mix, but I don't think he's going to see much playing time. I think he still has to put a little bit of work into the developmental stage, and maybe he'll be there. But I don't know, man. What do you guys think of the Buffalo Sabres? I'll start with you, Jared. You haven't really talked in a little bit. What are your thoughts on the Sabres, and what would you grade them with their offseason moves, and what are we going to see from this team for this upcoming season? I mean, as you briefly mentioned, it really isn't pretty in the Buffalo Sabres organization right now. Obviously, uh, they still haven't done anything to address Jack Eichel. There's rumors every day, but as of now, nothing. He still is affiliated with that squad. Uh, in general, they just aren't a good team. They're pretty much going to like lock, a lock to be a basement team this year. The only positive thing is the fact that for a rebuilding team, the best thing you could do in an offseason is to get a high draft pick. And what better is getting first overall, drafting a guy like Owen Power, a strong defenseman who, even though he's not slotting into the lineup this year, uh, there definitely is a bright future there in Buffalo for at least getting that player. Uh, so as much as their offseason, it definitely wasn't good, I mean. You look at that goalie tandem of Craig Anderson and Aaron Dell, not pretty at all. They didn't make a lot of strong moves. They definitely got worse. Uh, but for a rebuilding team, they know they're not going to be a good team. They know they're going to be a basement dweller. Uh, getting a guy like Owen Power definitely is a positive thing. I still, though, gave their offseason a C, and the only reason it is a C and not anything less is because they ended up getting Owen Power. That's the one big positive thing. Got a first overall pick, which is huge, huge for their future. Uh, but in general, it just it isn't looking like it's going to be a good season for the Buffalo Sabres at all. And I, I, I'm going to ask you this question. I think it goes a little bit too full. But are we going to expect to see another uh, possible first-round pick in next year's draft with this team most likely sitting at the bottom of the league and having probably the highest chance of winning that NHL draft lottery? I mean, it, it's definitely a possibility. They're going to be in the mix. I definitely see them being a lottery team this year. Obviously, you never know how that lottery ball is going to fall. But I, I think they're going to be in the mix for another uh, lottery, another basement dwelling season. It, it's not looking like it's going to be a pretty season for the Buffalo Sabres at all. Yeah, and let's hope the lottery ball falls a little more fair than this season, this upcoming season. I, just to think that the Maple Leafs, uh, they were just just seconds away from getting the first overall pick in the McDavid draft. And boy, would that have changed the franchise completely. And I'll turn this one over to you, Adamo. Uh, what would 
Great. This Buffalo Sabres team, I know there's not too much to talk about with them. They definitely took a step back. Uh, I, it would be really hard to find a way for them taking a step forward, but a rebuilding team nonetheless. What do you make of them for this upcoming season? And what would you give them a grade level on a scale of, I guess, A to the lowest it could possibly be here, which would be rock bottom, a uh, horrible, salty F? Interesting that you guys say that. I'm actually going to go in the other direction, and I'm going to give them a B plus, um, which is actually one of the higher ones because – yeah, they're a re- they're a rebuilding team, but you look at some of the moves they did. Um, Owen Power, I actually not the biggest fan of him going first overall, but I do like that he's going back to Michigan to develop his game. You know, he's not rushed into the NHL, kind of like Rasmus Dahlin, and just handed a pile of crap on his other pairing. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen for Robert Hag, a first and a second is a lot. That's a lot to get back for a not that good defenseman. Uh, same for Sam Reinhardt. I think the first first round pick was huge from Florida, and they get Devin Levi, who admittedly still is a you know not that good goalie prospect, but we did see flashes of it in the uh, World Junior Championships. Um, but the only reason it's not any higher is because I look at their roster, and it's it's concerning how many players are are not NHL players that are here. Like I have I have never heard of R two. Rustasalainen. I don't know if anyone's on their daily faceoff right now, but the guy slaughtered at third line left wing, I have never heard of. Um, their goaltending is, I think we can call it the worst in the league. Craig Anderson, Aaron Dell. Who is your starter there? Like, it's 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 a mess. It's a mess there. So I think they're they're definitely going to be a terrible team, but that's maybe not a horrible thing. Well, the expectations, uh, as we've all sort of mentioned, are extremely low uh, to entering this upcoming season. Uh, you did mention that I was really surprised that you gave him a pretty fair grade. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at a rebuilding team, and Jared, you mentioned this as well, the best thing you can do, best best uh, opportunity available for you, is to generate picks. And what did they do? They, well, they got a bunch of picks for the upcoming years. And, I mean, that Rus- Rasmus or Stalinian trade, I remember talking about it on the show a couple months ago when the trade was made. We all we all agreed on the show that it was a steal because you're looking at a guy Robert Hag. Yeah, it's not too uh, not too fancy of a name, but that first round pick and getting a 2023 20, second rounder, it's fetching you fair value for a not so star defenseman like Rasmus Ristolainen. And I think Philly might have overpaid for him. I think maybe they see something that the Buffalo save. But even Devin Levi, we saw what he could do in the World Juniors for Team Canada. Uh, it's gonna be—he's gonna be tested. I think he's gonna be tested in the National Hockey League this year. He's gonna get a lot of time to play there with these goalies not looking too sharp. Craig Anderson reaching the tail end of his career, and Aaron Dell haven't been able to put a stake in the ground with his career at all. So I think they've made some decent moves when you're looking at a rebuilding perspective. And I think that is very fair to say that you can sway them in a positive direction. I don't know, Evan, are you going to sway the same way as Damo here? Are you going to maybe take a little bit of the harsher uh, side of the whip and go with maybe a lower grade for this Buffalo Sabres offseason? Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't as generous as Damo was. I gave them a D plus. And the only reason I gave them a D plus was because I do see the upside in Devin Lee. I know, like, I don't view the world juniors that he had uh, that past December as a fluke, because if you look at his past stats, I mean, he's been very consistent keeping uh, a plus 900 save percentage throughout every year of junior hockey. And then leading up to the, World Junior Championships, you know, he's going to Northeastern. It's a great program. I think he can succeed in the NHL. I just, 
like you move on from Sam Reinhardt, you move on from Rasmus Ristolainen. I highly doubt Jack Eichel's putting on that uniform anymore. I think he's done. You know, he switched agents. He's with Pat Brisson in CAA right now. And I think Pat's getting a deal done within the next month to get Jack Eichel off the Buffalo Sabres because it's not fair for him to stay on such a struggling franchise that has zero hope. And you have a top 10 talent in the NHL and Jack Eichel who could do so much better. And in terms of where Jack Eichel goes is still remain to be seen. I do think that the LA Kings have the best trade offer for him. I think they have the picks for him. And I think they also have the youth. You can offer guys like uh, Tyler Madden. You can offer even if you want Quentin Byfield, they have Alex Turcotte. You have Arthur Kaliev, although some people aren't as optimistic about him due to his uh, attitude. But I I think he ends up in L.A. Pat Brisson knows the L.A. Kings very well, and I, I think he ends up there. I don't know by opening night, but I think he ends up there eventually. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Jack Eichel. And this is a topic that I want to spend a little bit of time on on this show and just get your your guys' opinions on it. I know you just spoke of yours, Evan, but uh, it, it is it is Jack Eichel, and he's probably the most beautiful part of Buffalo that is there right now. You ever pass through Buffalo, uh, nothing too beautiful and uh, nice to see down there. And seeing Jack Eichel trapped there is something that I think no hockey fan in the game, no matter which side you look at, even Buffalo fans don't want to see Jack Eichel still being on this team for the upcoming season. And I'm hoping that a trade gets worked out. I mean, listen, he's a too good of a talent to be wasted down in Buffalo. I am going to live on this hill and die on this hill. I do believe that Jack Eichel is a better player than Austin Matthews. Uh, I will get a lot of uh, backlash for that simply because I'm saying it to an audience full of Toronto Maple Leafs fans. And I am a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, so there is no bias in this one. I'm actually going against the bias, but... I think he has a more complete game than Matthews, but again, that's a that's a topic for a completely other day, another discussion. But going back to Jack Eichel, I, I just want to see him land somewhere. I, I'm going to go this to Jared here. Do you see Jack Eichel landing anywhere in this upcoming months? There, I mean, the, the time is the clock is ticking. There's not a lot of time to work with uh, with his agent and finding a new place for him to play. Uh, do you see him see a trade happening? I know he's still battling an injury. There's no guarantee he's going to be healthy for opening night. But what's the what's the trade value that he's going to fetch, and what team would be able to provide that trade value uh, that we can possibly see getting into the works in this upcoming months of the season? Um, it's really tough to say. I hope a deal gets worked out. I really hope he gets out of Buffalo. I mean, as you mentioned, he is pretty much trapped there. Like there's no better way to describe it. He is trapped on the Buffalo Sabres right now. He clearly wants out of there. He wants no business being a Buffalo Sabre anymore, but as of now, nothing's been worked out. Um, I really like what Evan brought up for a potential team who would be interested in a team who would potentially have the pieces available uh, to fetch a guy like Jack Eichel. Uh, I definitely agree that the LA Kings are in the mix. I, I oh my god, my, my sorry, my mic just bugged out a little bit. Um, sorry. Um, the LA Kings, I definitely think have the pieces there. They have the picks. They have the prospects, uh, and definitely have pieces there that would potentially allow them to acquire a guy such as him. Uh, but as of now, there's really a question of just if there's enough time to even get a deal done. There is about a month so there's time it's it's a possibility but at this point i think you're probably going to start the season with jack eichel being on the buffalo sabers and you hope that soon into the season something gets worked out i 
I'd be very surprised if at this point in the offseason something gets worked out with preseason about to get underway, uh, trading camps opening up. I'd be very shocked if you see a trade happen around now. Now let's let's look at this let's look at this sort of theoretical saying maybe Jack Eichel makes a trade is comes out and Jack Eichel's heading his way, making his way to the LA Kings. If you're the LA Kings, how happy are you? Because I know Evan, you're you uh, obviously you said that LA would be a positive destination. Uh, Jared, you also just talked about that as well. How happy or would you be not only as a fan but as a guy in the management group, seeing if you're because I'm I'm assuming that the price tag for Jack Eichel is pretty high in prospect value and even picks. And I know the LA Kings, their rebuilding team, sort of leaving the stage of the rebuild. They're, the, the, you can see the other neck of the woods. That's that's a pretty big uh, aspect to look at when you're just dissecting this. But how happy would you be if you got Jack Eichel and had to give up a guy like Quinton Byfield, a guy like Turcotte? I don't know. I'll, I'll start with you, Evan. How would you feel as an LA Kings? I know you're not really a Kings fan, or maybe you are, but uh, how would you feel in this situation? If, if I had the chance to get Jack Eichel, who I already know can pot 35 goals and give me 50 plus assists. Like I'm taking that deal right now. Obviously I would still consider which prospects to give up, but if it means giving up a guy like Quentin Byfield or Alex Turcotte, I'm calling the Buffalo Sabres right now because I believe the prospects the Kings have, like I believe their depth at the prospect pool is very deep that they can afford to give up what might be NHL ready guys for an NHL all-star and arguably a top 10 player. And, you know, I wasn't as high on Quentin Byfield. I really didn't like when the Kings drafted him. I wanted Tim Stutzel and now look at him now in Ottawa. I, I thought that would have been the better pick, but if you're the Kings, you get Jack Eichel, your top two centers, or at least your top three centers until Kopitar retires is you got, you would get Jack Eichel, you got Anze Kopitar, and then you have Philip Deneau, who the Kings just got for six years. So you can run Eichel and Deneau as your one and two. Once Kopitar retires, you alleviate the cap space in the future, and then you can make some noise in free agency. But I think you, if you're you're saying you're at the end of you're seeing the end of the tunnel, I think the end of the tunnel could be Jack Eichel. That's that now that's a good point. I mean Jack Eichel would do massive things for this team. I mean, just if you're looking at it from a fan point of view, it's gonna spark so much energy, so much expectations. Now this set fan base who I think I, I think it's fair to say has been put in the dark over the last maybe two to three years. I think this will give them a lot of energy, a lot of optimism saying, well, yeah, maybe we could make some noise. And it is a pretty weak Pacific division. I will be getting into that in the upcoming weeks when we dissect their offseason moves and what the Pacific division is going to shape out to be in this upcoming season. But I think it's, I think it could be a match made in heaven for this LA Kings team. And if they're willing to part ways with this youth that they've been generating while they were sitting in the dark over the last two to three years, I think they'll get the best bang for their buck. And I think Jack Eichel, you know what you're getting from him. You just got to hope he's healthy. And I think that's something you can worry about maybe when he makes his way to the LA Kings, if he so chooses to do so. And uh, just running a little short on time here, uh, we're going to make switch gears here to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Buffalo Sabres, I didn't expect to spend this much time on them, but I think this Jack Eichel situation is a meaty sort of uh, discussion that I think we can have 
totally on its own in the next upcoming weeks. But we're going to make our way to the Detroit Red Wings. And this is an interesting team, guys. I mean, you look at the guys that they brought in, you can maybe make a case that this team, I don't think it's contending yet, but I think it's slowly coming to a close when you're talking about this rebuild. And I'm going to mention them very quickly here. Hironic, three years. Jacob Vrana, three years, 15.75. Tyler Bertuzzi, two years at 9.5. Puy Suter, uh, two years at 6.5. And the biggest one of all, uh, Alex Nedeljkovic traded for Jonathan Bernier and a third. This has caused havoc in the hockey community. We'll be dissecting that as well. Michael Rasmussen, three years, 4.38. Nick Letty was traded for Richard Panic and a second. And the question here, are the Red Wings out of the woods in this rebuild? Jared, yes or no? Uh, I don't think quite yet. I think they still maybe have a rebuilding season in them. However, I think you're definitely starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think they made a lot of strong offseason moves, and it was a very positive offseason if you are a Detroit Red Wings fan. Um, if you're asking me for a ranking, I'd give them a B. I think they had a very strong offseason. That Alex, Nadal- Alex Nadalkovich trade was just unbelievable. Uh, and I think you're definitely starting to see uh, a core there. Some prospects are going to come up. Uh, I really like the fact that Lucas Raymond, Marie Sider, those big prospects are going to step into the game now and hopefully absolutely dominate. I know some of them played a bit last season too, but... Uh, another season from them getting older, getting stronger. Uh, I really think you're going to start to see some uh, some core come into the Detroit Red Wings. Their young pieces are going to finally step up. And I think you're slowly going to start seeing the end of that rebuild. And maybe one more year where they're going to be at the bottom of the Atlantic. But you're starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and I think the trade for Nadelkovic made it completely possible that and sparked some optimism in this fan base because he is a top-tier goalie, I would consider. And uh, I think he he has pro- proven himself in this league. Uh, and he, I know he is the same age as Jack Campbell. Or, sorry, not Jack Campbell. I'm thinking of uh, Peter Mrazek, I'm pretty sure. But I, regardless here, he is a great goaltender and a great addition. And you swapping him for Jonathan Bernie, I don't think it gets any better than that. Uh, I'll turn it over to you, Adama. What would you grade this Detroit Red Wings offseason? There's been a lot of uh, key additions. Jacob Vrana was re-signed. Uh, I think they've gotten a lot better, making positive strides in the right direction. Definitely didn't get worse, which is a great sign to see uh, from the Detroit Red Wings team, who I think we could all agree is reaching the tail end of the rebuild. Would you agree with me on that? And what would you make from this offseason? Um, so I'm going to piggyback off of Jared and actually give the Detroit Red Wings a B. Um, one thing for other GMs in the NHL, if Steve Eiserman calls you, just hang up because you're probably going to lose the trade, unless you're Lou Lamorello. I don't know what's going on here with the Nicoletti trade. Um, but the Alex Nadelkovich for Bernier in a third, that's just a, that's a steal. you trading a guy who, well, I guess Bernier didn't even resign in Carolina. It was literally just a third-round pick. Um, Pew Suter from the Blackhawks is a really good signing. I think he's going to go step right into that probably number two center role beside Fabry and Zadina. Um, even the Tyler Bertuzzi, I think that might be a little bit of an overpay, especially because he's been injured last season. But what, four and a half million? Not a terrible deal. Um, so overall, I'd give I'd give them a pretty solid ranking, BB plus range. But they're definitely not done the rebuild yet. I don't think this team is even going to come close to the playoffs, just because of how hard the division is. But that's not to say they're not an up and coming team. 
And the up-and-coming up team, uh, acquiring Pui Sutter, like you mentioned, is a terrific uh, signing simply because he fits the role of this team so well. A young and up-and-coming roster, uh, hoping to fight for a playoff spot. Not this year. I, I don't think it's going to be it for them. But in this upcoming year, maybe give them a year or two, maybe even three, and they'll be right up there with a team that we'll be also mentioning a little later in the show, the Ottawa Senators, who have made some positive strides as well with the players that they've been bringing in and the guys that they've been developing. And going back to the Nadelkovich trade that you mentioned, this has been one of the biggest steals of the offseason. I mean, he, like I mentioned this before we, I got to you, Adama, but he is a top-tier goaltender no matter which way you look at it. He's proven himself. He's not the most injury-prone uh, goaltender out there, which is a huge factor when you're considering all these goaltenders that go down during the season and maybe even the most important time, the playoffs. But I don't know. One of the best uh, signings, I wouldn't say signings, trades, for Stevie Y. And yeah, you mentioned it. You said it perfectly. If he calls you, do not answer the phone because you will end up losing that trade. And if Gula Morello is going to go head to head with Stevie Y here, it is going to be a battle for the ages because these two GMs are at the, the cream of the crop when you're looking at it from the National Hockey League perspective. These guys don't lose that many uh, trades. And this one here with Nadelkovich is another attest to that. And I'll turn this over to you, Evan. What do you make of the Detroit Red Wings offseason? Same question I asked these other guys. And uh, give a grade, and of course, are they out of the woods just yet? How many years do you give on this rebuild? Because they did make some pretty decent strides uh, in this uh, last couple months or so. Well, yeah, if the Carolina GM wasn't such a cheap loser, then they would still have Nadelkovich, but he didn't want to give the extra 500000 that would have kept Nadelkovich in a Carolina Hurricanes uniform. Nadelkovich wanted the three and a half for two years in arbitration. Carolina was only willing to go three million. And when they couldn't come to a deal, they sent him off. And I think that was the dumbest thing you could have ever done. I mean, this guy was a Calder Trophy finalist for a reason. It wasn't an accident that he was in the conversation for the Calder. I mean, he kept the Carolina Hurricanes afloat when Peter Morazic and James Reimer were out. And now you give him away for a third round pick. Like you couldn't even get a second round pick or even a first round pick. And then you let Bernier walk to New Jersey. It's like, what are you doing? But at the same time, I think Detroit's very far away. My answer on how far away honestly lies in the hands of Dylan Larkin because I don't see him staying in Detroit that much longer. I highly doubt he's going to re-sign with this team. Like, it's just, it's not in a great position. I know that they're making all these acquisitions and whatnot, but it's a Dylan Larkin is a guy that wants to win. I mean, he's used to winning in the years that he's been in Detroit. It's been a stretch of just not winning and being a constant bottom feeder team. I you know, maybe he signs a three-year bridge deal in Detroit that takes him straight to unrestricted free agency, and then he can test the water himself. But, you know, right now, like the Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, he had that one all-star season. Jacob Verano is a really solid player. You know, Hronik might lead the team in scoring. Like, that's how bad this team is. Like, Hronik was leading the their team in goals for a very long time. Or not goals, but at least points. Like, it's just like they're not good i don't see them making any noise within these next five years to say i, I mean overall i gave them a c just because you didn't really like you brought in nadelkovich great goalie other than that you like your offensive help and even your back end is just 
subpar if that's how you want to phrase it but yeah i mean i don't know i just it, it my answer lies with what dylan larkin does with a new contract like if he signs long term they're great i just don't see him saying long term and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to just turn this one over right back to you. What if Dylan Larkin chooses not to sign or re-sign with this team? Would that affect the way this team is going to rebuild? Like, is it going to be, you said five years, which that does seem like quite quite a long time. But if he ends up walking, is that going to maybe prolong it? Is it going to cut it a little bit shorter? Like, how do you see uh, this situation playing out when in respect to the rebuild and its connection with Dylan Larkin? And is the guys that they're building this team around the right guys? Yes, and no, because you have Alex Nedeljkovic, who is a young, proven starting goaltender in the National Hockey League. But, I mean, other than that, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, Dylan Larkin, this is his last year of his contract. He has a cap hit of $6.1 I believe this contract does take him – It take, he's, he's a UFA in 2023. So when he's 26, I just I don't see him staying in Detroit because I guarantee you a contending team is going to offer him money that he wants and he's going to be willing to take it because to winning in a in a quite some time. So I mean, I, I just I, I got to see what's going on, but I I don't know. Like for Dylan Larkin's prime, it definitely won't be in Detroit. That's just a waste of a prime. Yeah, you, I mean, you can only take so many beatings until you walk away. Like, he's he's been they, – they got him at probably the worst time they could possibly could. He's been in the ringer, gone through the ringer over these last couple of years with this uh, rebuild that they've – long rebuild for the Detroit Red Wings. He hasn't had a winning season with this club. And I think, the yeah, you're absolutely right. The money is going to talk to Dylan Larkin. It's going to say, come this way. We're going to win with this other team. It's going to be a contending team because they all have enough money to throw around. Because let's face it, Dylan Larkin's a great player, but he hasn't done too much in his time with Detroit. Now, look at the guys he's playing with. You can't really blame him. He doesn't have too many guys feeding him the puck to score, but he's not going to be making crazy money if he wants to go someplace else and test those waters that you mentioned in free agency. So that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow in the next couple of years when it plays out. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings are going to be an interesting team to follow as well. I think they have some decent pieces, some decent players, but this this rebuild might take a little longer uh, than expected. Now, we're going to make our way here to another divisional rival here, the Florida Panthers. Uh, these teams don't really have too much in similarity, simply because the Florida Panthers are an offensive juggernaut that run on all cylinders, and they made a, some big gains and a little bit of losses here. One of them, including their one of their starting goaltenders last season. I know they split time with Bobrovsky and Drieger, but the latter has been snatched from the Seattle Kraken and will be playing for them in the inaugural season for this squad. So he is off the Florida Panthers list. Uh, another key, I wouldn't say the biggest acquisition for the Florida Panthers, Joe Thornton signed a one-year $750 million or $750,000 uh, contract. Signed Reinhardt, three years, nineteen point five. That was a big, uh, big thing for Bill Zito to bring in. Carter Verhage, three years, 12.5. Brandon Montour, three years, 10.5. Sam Bennett, this guy is an interesting storyline to follow. He is a loose cannon when he's uh, hot, and when he's not, he can really grind on that ladder uh, sort of lines for the Florida Panthers. He was signed for four years, 17.7. Anthony Duclair, three years for nine. And this is another key question, a key storyline to follow as we make our way into this upcoming season. So Bobrovsky and Knight make up the tandem. 
is this youngster going to be able to handle the pressure? Now, we saw it very briefly last season, both in the latter half of the regular season and a little bit in the playoffs where he was fed to the Wolves against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But during his tenure with the Florida Panthers in the regular season, he was solid. But can this Florida offense keep up with this rest of their team? Now, their offense is potent. It can fire from all angles. But it's the defense is going to be the big question. The goaltending, if it can back them up and they can keep the puck out of the back of the net. They can't rely on outscoring their opponents that much longer, especially in a division like this. So I'm going to turn this one over to you, Adamo. What do you make of their offseason moves? And where do you see these two goaltenders going at it? Can Spencer Knight keep up the sort of, I would say, reliable plays provided for this team uh, that we saw a little bit of a short sample size last season? Can he build up to the test? Yeah, so I'll start by answering that. Um, obviously, Spencer Knight is a phenomenal goalie. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe he was, what, 10th, 11th overall, 12th, 13th, somewhere in that range uh, a few years ago to the Florida Panthers. Uh, spent some time at Boston College where he absolutely lit it up. And I do think he can be a starting goalie in the National Hockey League, even though he's only like 21, 20 years old. Um but I don't think it's a good idea. I know with goalies, you, you typically want to develop them for a while. You don't really like to rush them into the league. I mean, you look at what just happened to Carter Hart right now. Uh, after having an unreal season, he goes ahead and puts up, like, the worst save percentage in the league. So it's very risky to, you know, ride Spencer Knight. But as for the rest of the Florida Panthers, I'm also not a fan of this team. I, I, and I get they were unreal in the playoffs. They were unreal last season. But some of the contracts are extremely risky. And I'll start with the Sam Bennett one. He put up 15 points in 10 games for the Florida Panthers. That's not sustainable. She shot 15%. He's a career 10% shooter. So that's bound to come down. But giving him $4.5 million over four years is extremely risky considering you know, your seven-year sample size he hasn't been great. He's touched 30 points once, and it was his rookie season. Um, so handing him $4.5 million over 10 games that were really good, where he was you know, coming off a high trying to impress everyone, is not a good idea. I think same with Carter Verhage. Obviously, he was a great, great player this season. Um, even his advanced stats with Tampa Bay suggested that he would break out at some point or another. But again, it's very risky giving a guy like that $4 million. Even Brandon Montour, not that great a defenseman to deserve north of three, four million dollars. So, yeah. Now touching back on the goalie situation, Knight and Bobrovsky. If Knight has a bad season, like a normal twenty-year-old was, can Bobrovsky bounce back? And if not, you don't really have a starting goalie. So, I'm not a fan of the Florida Panthers offseason. I'll just say it. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm very surprised you say that simply because they just made so many strides in the right direction with the offense. But you go look at the other factors, and this is a huge thing to look at when you're talking about a hockey team because it's never, as we've learned with the Toronto Maple Leafs and so many other teams in the National Hockey League, it's not all about offense. You've got to back it up with good goaltending and good defense, especially when you make your way to the postseason. And that was a big problem for the Florida Panthers, and they got a big taste of it against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are probably, they're going for the third cup, the best uh, complete team in this sort of league. But... I mean, Sam Bennett, I think he's an interesting case with him. I think the spotlight was so much casted on him very fast, simply because he came from Calgary, a uh, bottom six role, and was just casted 
into the spotlight in Florida and went on a completely irregular run that you would see from Sam Bennett. It's extremely streaky. I believe you mentioned 15 points in 10 games were the numbers it was at. He, he was on fire. You couldn't stop the guy. And even the playoffs, he was pretty solid as well for the uh, for the most part. And then he took a suspension and that sort of uh, steered away everyone's look on Sam Bennett. But for banking that much money, I believe it was 4.25. I'm not, I don't have the number 4. in front of me. 4.425. 4.425, yeah. Banking that much money for four years on a little sort of window. And when you're looking at contracts, and I've heard this from GM say it, when you're looking at contracts, you want to strike it when the iron is hot, when the window is most opportune. With Sam Bennett here, you're striking on a small little sliver of that window when for maybe 20 games, he's a hot player. For the next uh, 60 games, he's nothing but a bottom six forward that he was in Calgary. So I think that one was a poor signing. You can make a case for Brandon Montour if he's worth that money. It won't get you too far. But I think Sam Reinhart's been maybe taking the big blow of, yeah, this offseason was terrific because we got Sam Reinhart. Well, yeah, you look at the other key areas that you forgot to sort of fill out. And maybe, I wouldn't say forget to fill out, but maybe didn't fill out as much as you really should have. And uh, I think I'm going to turn this one over to Evan here. Uh, Evan, what do you make of the Florida Panthers offseason? And are these the right moves that they've been looking for? And will it answer the question that they couldn't really get the answer to, both in last postseason and the regular season as well? Well, I... I, I do like them giving up Devin Levy and Chris Rieger, and it's only for the reason of Spencer Knight because I'm a little higher on him than everyone else seems to be. But I think by having two goalies, you allow Spencer Knight to develop more, and I think that's a huge thing that is uh, on the table for him in terms of just developing into a starting goaltender. I don't see Bobrovsky having the same – uh, season that he had last year you know he was coming off of an injury last year it's COVID you're learning everything like the practices everything's just a little skewed and it can become overwhelming so I do see him having a bounce back year uh, in terms of uh, their signings in terms of re-signing uh, the Sam Bennett deal I think is a little overpay I think you could have gotten away with three and a quarter million a year you know and Carter Verhage, I think you could have gotten away with three years, nine million. Uh, Brandon Montour, I don't know how he even touched three million and even over three million. I don't think he's really a couple good moments in uh, Anaheim, but he hasn't been someone that's really caught anyone's eye. I do think the Sam Reinhardt deal can be huge. Because if you can get him on a line with, let's say, like Jonathan Huberto, I think Sam Reinhardt could get 50 points in the NHL. I think Jonathan Huberto can have that effect on him, or even a guy like Barkov at center. Like I think Sam Reinhardt, that was a great trade. Um, I mean, Joe Thornton's there because it's easier to get to retirement homes. But um, Anthony Duclair, like three years, nine million, that's what you needed to sign. Verhage too and I think that's what you you could have done four years three and a quarter with Sam Bennett pay him a little more because he is a grinder that's willing to go into the dirty areas and provide that spark for you but um I mean overall I would give it like a B plus slash A minus because I do think Bobrovsky is going to have a better year and in the short sample size of Spencer Knight he did really freaking well. Like mm-hmm. he was, 
he was really good for Florida. And um, I think he can develop into a solid backup this season. And if, if he does become successful, you got, then you find a way to get, I mean, it's crazy. Like Bobrovsky's making 10 million. It's hard to find another team if he does, if something does happen along the road. But I think for right now, I, I give it a B plus because you could have gone less on some dollar bills. And you can hey, pinch uh, Mario. Oh. Yeah. Uh, we got some, did, did you guys see the news about Nikita Gusev? Uh, Gusev, Gusev, no. Breaking news, Toronto Maple Leafs, we'll cover it later, but uh, I guess the Leafs oh. just signed Nikita Gusev to a really? tryout. Yeah, yeah oh. PTO. So I'll just let, letting you all know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, we'll I can't... later. Yeah, for sure, we'll be getting into that. I can't really see too much because I got all my screens uh, on the show here, but uh, hold on, was Gusev the... Was he like the big body defenseman, always laying oh, hits, getting... Was, to the no, he's a, he's a forward. He was in... Uh, New, he was in Vegas and then he went to uh, New Jersey. I don't think he was ever oh. in Vegas, but he was in New Jersey. Or was he? Was he? Oh, he, might he was in Vegas. Vegas. He started yeah, yeah. in Vegas. Yeah, the the winger. He went to I think Florida as well. Okay, I think I know who you were talking about. Now I think I was thinking of uh, he he played for Philly. He would always get into the penalty box. Uh, Gudis. Gudis. There we go. No, That's who I was thinking of. That's yeah, close. We'll give it to you. <laughs> we'll give yeah. it to you. Come some yeah. slack here. Same name. Or similar name, but uh, I'll just go back to the Florida Panthers point. That we're still on their team, obviously. We'll make our yeah. way to the Leafs, and we'll be getting into them as well. Uh, most of our show will be designated for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But going back to the Florida Panthers, you could pinch the pennies all you want with the money. The moral of the story is, and the moral of your point, I, I guess I'm looking at it, Evan, is that they could have saved a lot more money with these players. A lot of overpayments from Bill Zito and the contracts he was handing out that probably you can compare it to candy uh, to little kids. Like it's. It's crazy how much of a how, how much of an overpayment a lot of these guys had. You mentioned Brandon Montour; he shouldn't really be getting that much money. Sam Bennett, the window is small. I touched upon that. Adama, you touched upon it as well. A little bit, a little bit less money would have been much more beneficial for both parties, uh, more so the Florida Panthers, if you were to go here. And this golden uh, this 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 night situation and Bobrovsky. It's going to be interesting, and if you're Bobrovsky, you have to perform this year. There is no excuse if you don't. That is, This is looking to be, and it has been, you can make a very easy argument to say uh, this is one of the worst contracts in the league. So, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, he's making a lot of money for a goaltender. He, he sort of set the bar in the goaltending market for other goaltenders to compare their worth to. And Bobrovsky, man, it has been an ugly stretch of years down in Florida. He's got to pick it up. And I think this year he has to have a backup, uh, sorry, a bounce back uh, season and if he doesn't, the backup is right there for Spencer Knight in the most opportunistic situation possible. He has to run away with that uh, that opportunity if it's if it is presented to him. If Borowski is struggling out there like he somewhat did last season, Spencer Knight's got to do what he did last year and step up again. And I think that's going to be a staple for him to find in his career, and it's going to get him in the right direction with this Florida Panthers team. And he will certainly be training towards the next starter for this Florida Panthers squad. And, uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about the Florida Panthers. We're going to spread the wealth here to another divisional rival, the Montreal Canadiens, a topic that Leafs fans don't really want to get into, but maybe this is the right time. A lot of holes that the Montreal Canadiens might have missed of. We'll begin to it right now. So Tatar, he signs New Jersey. That's a loss for the Habs. Kasperi Kotniemi gets offersheeted by the Canes and goes there as the Habs do not match that offer. He is now a Carolina Hurricane. Philip Deneau, we touched upon him briefly in the show. He is now an L.A. King. And Corey Perry, the list keeps getting longer. He is dealt with the enemy. 
signing in Tampa Bay. Shea Weber out for the season with numerous injuries. Another loss for the Montreal Canadiens to open up the season. But finally, Habs fans, and I don't like to give you the good news, but it now starts to get better. Now you're bringing in Mike Hoffman, three years at 13.5. Questionable money, I I would say. Uh, David Sabard, four years at 14 million. Chris Weidman, you signed him for a year. Cedric Paquette, a year. Matthew Perot, I love Matthew Perot. I think he's one of the, I wouldn't say the most underrated player in the league, but one of the most underrated bottom six forwards in the National Hockey League. I love what he did in Winnipeg. Let's see if he can keep it up in Montreal. Alturi Lekin in one year, 2.3. Joel Armia, four years at 13.6. And their most recent acquisition of them all, Christian Devore for a conditional 22 first and a 2024 second round pick. And I'll just sort of outline the conditions of that pick as well. So as you would know, the numerous uh, offer sheet, the offer sheet that was made to the Montreal Canadiens for Kasperi Kotniemi had a first round pick involved in it. That first round pick is also involved in the conditional 2022 first uh, with the Montreal Canadiens and the Arizona Coyotes. Basically, the Arizona Coyotes will take the better or, or sorry, they will take the worst pick between the Carolina Hurricanes pick and, of course, the Montreal Canadiens pick. So just a brief touch upon the Christian Dvorak deal. So I'll just quickly get into it. What would you grade the offseason for the Montreal Canadiens? And, man, it is a really mixed bag. They lost a lot. They gained a little bit. But where do these strengths and uh, these strengths and weaknesses balance that provide with us there? And if you could provide a grade as well, that would be terrific. Sorry, I cut out for a second. Did you say me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, for sure. Okay, so... Montreal Canadiens, um, I'm going to go ahead and say it. This was the worst offseason out of all the Atlantic teams, so I'm going to go ahead and give them a C-. I can't absolutely rip on them because I think they did some right things. I think the Jesperi Kock and Yemi offer sheet, I think they did the right thing in not matching it because 6.1 is ridiculous, and then they'd have to QO him next season and the season after that. Um, But... What I don't like is what they did with the offer sheet compensation. Uh, if we want to quickly touch on the signings, they're whatever. I don't think the David Savard contract was a good idea. You don't give a 30-year-old defenseman who's already on the decline because he plays such a big game for years. Uh, Mike Hoffman's whatever. They could always use another power play finisher. Um, but the big one, Christian Dvorak, um, he is not worth a first-round pick. He's a fantastic player, and I'm not saying he's not. I think he can be a middle six center, but... If I were them, I would have used the compensation. You have two first-round picks now. You have an already pretty stacked prospect pool, if I do say so. This this was a team that I expected to go for Jack Eichel. I think they had the pieces to do it. I think they had a huge hole at number one center. I don't think Nick Suzuki is a number one center in the NHL. I think maybe he can one day, but let's stop overrating this team. Like they got to the Stanley Cup Finals and it was deservedly so, but now they're without their number one center, or who acted like their number one center in Philip Deneau. They're without their number two defenseman and captain Shea Weber. They lose their veteran presence in Corey Perry. They lose their starting goalie, or I guess backup goalie, and well, one of their goalies, I'll say, in Carey Price, who was their superstar. And they don't, they just don't address it. So. I don't think there's much positive to take out of the Montreal offseason. I don't see there being a way at them sneaking into the playoffs. Yeah, that's it's totally fair. I mean, I would be on the same side of the tracks as you as well. And not to go against the Habs, there's no bias in this opinion. I think it's just strictly a fact. 
they lost a lot more than they gained. And the gains they made were a little bit of an overpayment or just not enough. Like, look who you're adding. If you're adding, I, I see you right here on the list and I'm looking at it and probably so are you. Three guys, Cedric Paquette, Matthew Perot, Chris Weidman, and you could even throw Altieri Lekkinen's name in that ring as well. What does that What does that mean? Either, needless to say, they're all in one-year deals, so you're going to have to worry about this problem next season as well. So usually when you see a team sign guys for one-year deals, it's because they usually want to make a push that year and use the value of that player for that one season. These guys won't provide you a lick of value for one one complete season. And I think that was a big problem uh, looking into this offseason. They definitely took a step back with all these injuries that have been bugging them. Their captain is out. Tatar is out and down in New Jersey. And they lost a big centerman in Deneau. And I think you mentioned Christian Dvorak not worth a first. 100% he's not worth a first. He put up some decent points in Arizona, but nothing too crazy. Now, Arizona is a pick machine. They eat up so many picks uh, throughout this offseason. We'll be getting to them in the upcoming weeks. But they've generated a lot of picks after losing a bunch of them due to that sort of situation with the NHL and the the combine cheating and all that stuff. They had to regenerate picks, and they have been doing a successful job of that during this offseason. But Dvorak... I think when you're looking at that situation, I think Bergevin, because you look at how this sort of ended up, it was right after the Carolina offer sheet where they chose not to match the offer and they took the compensation. I think Bergevin was in a lot of hot water at that time, and he needed to act fast to get the, this is really looking into it, but not the press, but get a lot of things off his plate here. He needed a center, and I think he wanted to use that leverage as fast as possible with those picks to get one as quickly as he could. And if he maybe if he would have waited a little bit, he could have maybe even put his name in the Jack Eichel talks, like you mentioned, Adam. And I think that's a perfect way of looking at it. You now have that leverage with that compensation that I would say was one of the best compensations you'll ever get. You give up who a third, a, a third former third overall pick in uh, Kasperi Kotniemi. Like I think that's fair compensation, and you're not going to sign him for six point one million dollars. First of all, you'd be over the cap hit, and second of all. It wouldn't be too beneficial because what has Kutnyemi even done in the National Hockey League during his time here? It's been has been too solid or terrific. But uh, I don't want to talk too much and go on a tangent with the Montreal Canadiens. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Evan. What do you make of this team, their roster, uh, and their acquisitions, and the guys that left this team uh, in the offseason? How do you think it balances out? Does it balance out, or have they t- significantly taken a step back? Well, I agree with Adamo that I don't think the team got better. I think they got worse. And if you're Montreal, you could have gotten Philip Deneau. I think he, I think at first, like at the beginning of the year, he wanted five years for five million, and Montreal said no. So he was playing without a contract this year, and now he's in LA. So now you lose a huge lockdown defenseman. And I, I was at the Vegas Montreal game, game five, and this guy, absolutely unreal. He's just. He was locking down Mark Stone in that first line, and I'm happy he's in L.A. because it finally gives us some hope at the center position. The one thing I would say about losing that conditional 2022 first was that I don't think they were in the Jack Eichel mix just for the reason that there's a history of Americans not really wanting to settle in Canada and I think that's why they used the first round pick on Dvorak instead of using it on um, on a huge trade package for Jack Eichel. I just I think that's why they did it was because sometimes Americans they just don't want to play in Canada could because of taxes, just how far they are from their family. Uh, you lose Kakaniemi. I know the like the six million. I I was surprised when I saw that too. There are reports that 
um, once this contract, this one year is up, that Carolina is going to assign him to a deal of five years at $4 million a year. And that's how they'll lock him up for his prime year, like up until the beginning of his prime years. Losing Thomas Tatar is huge. Corey Perry is a great uh, enforcer that just pisses everyone off. I'm not too high on Mike Hoffman just because he's not that consistent. Like he'll have, he had a few stretches in St. Louis where he was potting goals on the power play, but more times than not, he was really inconsistent. David Savard, I would not have given that much money for, especially for that long four years. Like that just seemed a little too long of a commitment. And then the other one-year year is like, I do agree with you. Matthew Perot is a really solid bottom six. I think Lekkanen at 2.3 million was a really nice signing. And I think Yoel Armia at four years, 13.6 million was great. I'm just like the Mike Hoffman one. I'm not a fan. I know it's for not a lot of like, for, I mean, 4 million is a lot of money. I, I think they overpaid and I, I don't know. I just haven't seen enough consistency from him lately to want me to say, here's $4 million, go score 25 goals. Like it just, I didn't like that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of questionable moves for the Montreal Canadiens. You look at Mike Hoffman, and I totally side with you as well. Like, I, I, I personally had him on my fantasy team last season, and I really tried hard to stick it out for the entire year. I drafted really high on him. He had a terrific year in Florida the year prior. It, there was a lot of signs pointing to the right direction with this guy, and he just couldn't find put a stake in the ground or find a groove, and he was just one of those streaky players that we find so many in the NHL. So paying him that much money, he better be proving something in this next year because if it's not there, those last two years on that contract are going to look really ugly for the Habs. And I think it's all I'm going to mention for the Montreal Canadiens personally. And I'm going to turn it over. I know the platform here that I'm using doesn't say he's here, but Jared, could I get an answer from you if you are here? Okay, I, I didn't think so. Yeah, it says he it says he's he texted me. He said he was in. He could hear us, but uh, I can't hear him. And it's quite frankly, it doesn't say he's on the roster here on this platform. I'm gonna invite him and see what I have to do on that side. But we're gonna just <laughs> I can hear him through my door though, so I know he's alive and well. Yeah, that's 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 the most uh, concerning thing here. Uh, yeah, if he he'll just. Uh, I'll, I'll text him to just join back or whatever. Uh, I'll send him the link again. But we're going to just make our way quickly just for the constraints on time. And I really want to get into the Toronto Maple Leafs news because we just got breaking news, number one. And number two, they are a big, hefty topic to talk about. I think we'll go quite quickly through this next team here who hasn't made too many uh, offseason acquisitions, the Ottawa Senators. So basically bringing in Jake Bafferson had a terrific year last season for a rebuilding and struggling Ottawa Senators team. Six years at 29.85 mil. Uh, Victor Mete, I personally you know Victor Mete. He's lived in my uh, neck of the woods, and I've actually done a couple jobs from work at his house. So we have a decent uh, relationship there. He signs one year at 1.2. Nick Holden. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> Nick Holden, 2022 third. Uh, they lose Evgeny Dadanov for that. Uh, Artemi Zerb. Uh, Artem Zerb, or Zub, I don't know what you want to call him here. Two years at five. Brady Kachuk. He hasn't signed, but he expects a massive deal to be set in stone. Uh, with this team. So uh, Melnick and Dorian believe the rebuild is done. The big question is, is this true? And I think we just got Jared back. Jared, can you talk? Maybe I can hear you. Hello, hello. There we go. I've been He's... listening the whole time. I don't know why it cut me out for a sec. I could hear everything. I said it wouldn't let me talk. 
that's that's tough. I've never I've I've never had that experience with this platform. So definitely a new one. I'm glad you're back. Uh, I wish I could have turned over the Montreal Canadiens topic for you, but I mean we have to move on for time. Uh, I'll yeah, turn over to you right now. Uh, what do you think of this Ottawa Senators team? Uh, the steps that they're making in the, their direction, it's trying to edit, end off a rebuild, and uh, it, it looks as though Melnick and Dorian believe this rebuild, this rebuild is done. Do you believe so? And what would you make of their offseason moves that we've just recently been seeing out of the Ottawa Senators? I mean, when you're just looking at the Ottawa Senators in general, I do like their team in general, and I, I like the future of the team. If you're looking at just the offseason in particular, I don't think they did anything crazy that uh, screamed to me that they had such an unbelievable offseason. Uh, I mean, losing Evgeny Dadanov is going to hurt. Uh, they didn't do anything major other than that, though. I'm giving them about a C or a C plus. They didn't do anything major, didn't lose a ton, but also didn't gain a ton or address a ton. They kind of... Kept their team for the most part as is. They dealt with some contracts, obviously signed Drake Bathurst in long term. Uh, I think they had a fine offseason, uh, not any big complaints, but also didn't do any major anything major where I'm going into the next season like, wow, this Ottawa Senators team is completely different and they have such a good season ahead. They're kind of going to be in the same boat. They're probably going to they're gonna make some noise. They're going to be somewhat competitive, but also very unlikely that they're going to be in the playoff mix. Uh, I think they're going to be a solid team. Maybe not basement dwelling, but also I don't see them anywhere near the playoffs. Sort of in that limbo area where they're not amazing, but not bad either. I think they have a bright seat. Uh, sorry, I think they have a bright future ahead of themselves, though. I think they are a good team in general, but this offseason in particular, I don't think they did anything major that made me think they had such a good offseason. Yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, uh, you look at the I, – I disagree with the Melnick and Dorian comments saying that they're out of the neck of the woods. This rebuild is done. I don't think they're – not that they're nowhere near, but I think you give them two years and maybe you'll see them in the spot that they wish to be. And yeah, we're looking at the offseason, so that's all you can grade them off of. But nothing really major that's going to sort of make you go crazy about this team. Maybe Batherson, I guess. Even the Holden trade, losing Evgeny Dadanov, that's a decently big loss. Dadanov has a lot of value in his the way he plays the game. And he has been pretty productive in the past. So using a decently productive player... Uh, not that they've taken a big step back because as a rebuilding team, it's quite hard to do so. I think they've made some decent strides forward, but nothing too crazy. And I think the grade that you provided, Jared, is perfectly valid. And I'm going to turn this one over to you, uh, Damo. I guess I'll go over to you quickly. Uh, what do you think of the Ottawa Senators offseason? And is the rebuild anywhere close to being done? Uh, in terms of the rebuild being close to be done, uh, no. But I think they made major not major strides into the right direction. I think they made major strides in the right direction towards being a good team in the present. But in the future, it feels like they're kind of getting in their own way. You know, they picked 10th overall this season. I know, and I'm not a prospect expert by no means, but they picked Tyler Boucher. And he was he was projected to be like a mid-second round, late-second round pick. They picked him at 10th. Uh, they did the same thing with Jake Sanderson. You know, they left a guy like Jamie Drysdale on the board for him, if I'm not mistaken um last season but in terms of this season i give him an a minus because i love the art and zoop contract i think it's a fine contract for a very good number three four middle pairing defenseman uh in terms of lo losing evgeny dadanov that's kind of whatever i don't think he matches their timeline so they're trying to recoup an asset for someone whose value has been depleting especially because he didn't have the greatest season uh in ottawa uh the Drake Batherson contract, solid deal, 
Hopefully he can keep up that goal scoring pace. I know he was on an absolute tear there towards the end of the season, but I think overall solid off season and I'm fully expecting Brady to Chuck to be signed come the end of maybe preseason. And uh, I think that would be a fair assessment. I've been hearing that talks are in the work with Kachuk. Uh, you can expect, at least as with all the sources have been saying, expect a massive deal. This kid's their future. This is the guy that they've been wanting to build the team around. And him and Stutzel, I know Stutzel's not up for a contract for quite a little bit, but these two players are going to be some big uh, headliners for this team to build around. And you're going to see a lot of guys, hopefully, if you're the Ottawa Senators, some guys from other teams one day wanting to hop on the Ottawa Senators ship to play with these young talents. And they have a lot of skill power. Especially when you're looking at Brady Kachuk, he's a terrific player. Uh, he hits, he shoots, and most importantly, he scores goals. You don't find that too much in the game, especially at a guy his age, and he matches that, just like his brother did in Calgary. And I'm going to just move it quickly towards, uh, push the envelope quickly towards you, Evan. What do you make of the Ottawa Senators, uh, their offseason, and what can we expect to, to see from them? In the upcoming years yeah i'll be quick uh i think that drake batherson signing will be a steal in the future i think locking him up for six years was important and only to pay a little less than five million a year i think that's really going to pay off in the future uh i agree with the demo i don't think losing evgeny dadanov was huge just because dad like as we saw in the past like dadanov has only been successful on successful teams like he i think he was like just north of 30 goals when he was in florida it's just it's hard to get offense in ottawa and i think it i think getting nick holden as a defenseman was a, is a lot uh is going to help more than keeping dadnov um i think getting artem zoo at two and a half million I mean, it's whatever that's how much you should be paying um a fourth defenseman, fourth or fifth de defenseman, based on however you want to view him. Uh, Brady Kachuk, I'm ex like I would expect a massive deal, but I'm also curious to see if he does the same thing as Matthew, where he takes that three year bridge deal at seven million. You know, I I don't know if he does that. I mean, I don't know if Ottawa wants to do that, but I would be curious to see if he does something similar to Matthew Kachuk. I still think they need a better goalie. Like Matt Murray was just not it. Right when he signed that contract, I was like, I'm not surprised that this is Ottawa that does this because I don't think he was worth that much money. So, I mean, I, I'd give them, I'd say a B minus C plus somewhere in that range because I love locking up Drake Batherson for that low AAV. I think that's going to pay off in the future. And it's just on what Brady Kachuk does. If he signs long-term, he signs long-term. But I'm curious to see if he does what Matthew did. Yeah, and I just want to remind the listeners here that uh, these grades by no means reflect the best team that's been in this – the best team that made – quite big strides in the Atlantic division. Like Adamo, for example, you gave Ottawa an A minus. And I think it works well because we're looking at how it works with a specific team. It's not in general that, oh, if you're working, maybe we're going to give the Tampa Bay Lightning next, maybe a B minus or a C, just for example, right? So this A minus the Ottawa Senators gets doesn't make them better 
than the Tampa Bay Lightning. It just makes them, in their situation, they succeeded, right? And uh, I think Brady Kachuk, you mentioned the contract and if it's going to compare to his brother Matthew. And I think it's going to stay with what I've been hearing. The massive deal, I think, is going to be done. I think there these are two different types of players. I think Matthew Kachuk wasn't the guy they wanted to build around. I think Brady Kachuk is that guy. And I think the money is going to follow that role as well. And just a quickly th- quick thing to uh, look on as well. The Ottawa Senators aren't going to be that big of a pushover. I think they're going to put up a fight with these teams in the Atlantic Division. I think DJ Smith, he coaches his team well. He coached the Toronto Maple Leafs pretty well in the limited role he had. I think he's going to push these guys like he did last season and maybe find some more upsets like the Ottawa Senators did with the Toronto Maple Leafs and even the Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers, they did have the Ottawa Senators number just a bit, but uh, I think Ottawa's going to put up a lot more of a battle. And uh, it's... Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what DJ Smith can do with this roster. Now we're going to switch gears to probably the most intriguing team of them all. They just came back and fresh off a uh, Stanley Cup championship and a one a year before that, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They lose Yanni Gourd to the Kraken, Barkley Goudreau to the Rangers, but they do keep Ross Colton, the Stanley Cup hero, two years, 2.25. Cal Fude, our foot, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, two years, 1.7 mil. Corey Perry, they finally get him on the team if you don't like them, let him join you. Two years, $2 million. Pierre Edward Bellemare, two years, $2 million. Matches that Corey Perry deal quite nicely. Braden Point, this was the big chunk of change here and well-deserved, criminally underrated player in this league. Eight years at $76 million. Not a dollar that he didn't earn himself. Zach Bogosian, three years, 2.55. He makes his way from Toronto down south to Florida and returning to his former squad. And Brian Elliott looking to provide some stability from the backup role and aiding what Curtis McElhaney couldn't quite provide for the Tampa Bay Lightning throughout the regular season. He signs a one-year deal for 900000 So the big question, gentlemen, is, is this team built for the 3 P? I'm going to start with you, Adamo. What can we make of this squad, and are they ready to go back to the battle and maybe get as far as they could and possibly find another ring on their hands? I'm going to be honest when I say they probably can. They probably can. I don't think it'll be as dominant. Um, you look at their top six, they still have Andre Palat, Alex Kalor, and Braden Point, who's extension. You know, I hate I hate being that guy that, you know, oh, what would a Marner taken? But uh, $9.5 million for a player who I think is considerably better than Mitch Marner, I'll flat out say that, um, is an absolute steal. You still have Braden Point. You still have Nikita Kucherov. You still have Steven Stamkos. You still have the best goalie in the world. You still have Anthony Sorelli. You still have the best defenseman in the world. This team is still a very, very good team. But I don't really – I don't think they're going to be as dominant as they were. And I wouldn't be surprised if this team doesn't win the Cup. I mean, hockey's pretty random. So this team could fully, you know, have a first-round exit. I just think they've – I think they've stepped down from – like lock for the Stanley Cup finals to contender, but still a very good team, I'd say. And they didn't take the foot off the gas and take large steps back. I think Yanni Gord was a great player, and so was Barkley Gujo, but those guys aren't going to kill you when you're looking at uh, the guys that left the team. And I think the Tampa Bay Lightning do have something cooking. I think they have a very high chance of going back at to the at uh, back into the Stanley Cup final and maybe making some noise. But again, you mentioned hockey is a random sport. You see a lot of teams. It's not like the NBA where by the time it's uh, tip off for the opening game, opening night, you know which teams you're going to go to the final. 
hockey doesn't work like that. It's a team game and anything can happen in the playoffs. And I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but it's, uh, I know we're talking about playoffs in next season, but that's the big expectation for this Lightning's team. Anything lower than that would be a massive failure. I think anything less than a first or second round uh, exit would be a massive failure. It's 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 going to be interesting to watch, and I hope they're going to do well. They have a terrific organization going. They got the best goalie in the in the uh, in the league, the best one of the best players, and for a steal nonetheless. Eight years at seventy six. I I hundred percent agree with you, Adamo. He is a much better player than. Uh, Mitchell Marner, because look at the contracts that these two are making, and look at the production you're getting from both. Not to say Marner is a bad player, but Marner didn't go on an 11-game scoring streak in the playoffs. Marner went on a pretty high streak of taking big penalties and flipping the puck over the glass. So his streak was the opposite, I'd say. Oh, 100% the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't score, nor did he set them up. He, and we're gonna get be getting into that in just a bit with the Maple Leafs. But yeah, Braden Point, terrific player and a terrific deal by the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I turn it over to Jared here. What do you make of this Tampa Bay Lightning offseason? And are they ready for a three-peat? Is this team ready to go into battle and make another push for a Stanley Cup? Um, I First of all, could you hear me? Yeah. You're okay, just, just making sure there's no issues. Um, Yeah, so as much as I didn't necessarily love this offseason, I think losing Yanni Gordon, losing Barkley Goudreau is going to hurt. However, I don't think they did anything major in this offseason that takes away from their chances necessarily. I think they definitely still have all the pieces there. If they were to go on a run again, they very much have a roster capable of a three-peat. I'm not saying it's going to happen or what I'm predicting, but with the Tampa Bay Lightning, you really never know. They have, I'd say, the best roster in the league, and if they want to play together, they can definitely do it. If you're just looking at this offseason, however, again, those two players, I think, are going to be painful losses to the team. However, they signed a couple key guys to contracts, a couple young guys. Uh, I think the addition of Corey Perry, as much as he's an older uh, player, and is not going to necessarily win or lose it for your team. I think he's a nice veteran piece to add to that already stacked Tampa Bay Lightning roster. Uh, Again, Pierre Edward Bellamar, again, I think he's just a great piece to add to this team. Overall... Overall, I I do think they have a good roster there. Nothing they did in the offseason really blows me away, uh, aside from locking down Braden Point. That was a great deal. But really, I, I think it was a fine offseason. I gave it about a B or B minus. They didn't do anything wrong, didn't do anything unbelievable, aside from, of course, that unbelievable Braden Point deal. Uh, eight years locking him down long term. He's a great player. But yeah, I, I liked their offseason. Wasn't amazing. Was definitely far from bad. They're still an unbelievable team, and they're definitely going to be in the hunt for a three-peat. We'll see this season if they get there, but they're going to be in the hunt for sure. They're an unbelievable team. Yeah, and it's really hard to find a weak spot in this Tampa Bay Lightning's, I won't say just offense, but general roster in, uh, in specific. Like they're, They have a terrific squad that they're going to be putting together and putting on the ice uh, for the upcoming season, just like they did last season and just like they did the year before. So they're most likely going to be in the hunt for that uh, final spot. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And just on the aspect of time, we're running a little slim, and I really want to dive into the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's our bread and butter at the Leafs Line podcast. So, Evan, I'm just going to skip over you for this topic, and I'm going to no. start, start right with – you want to you want to go into the Tampa Bay? <laughs> just give me one thing, please. Go crazy. Come on. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I just want to say that I think that Braden Point deal is exactly what is exactly what Toronto should have done with Mitch Marner because nine and a half is what Mitch Marner should have gotten. It's what 
Miko Rantanen has. It's what Braden Point has. It's what the guys are getting. I think losing Yanni Gord, Barkley Goudreau, and Blake Coleman are significant losses in your depth chart because I think those were guys that really helped you get wins when, or just get wins in general as having a complete team. I think getting Ross Colton for a little over a million a year is great. He was a great addition to keep. Corey Perry's great. Pierre-Edward Belmar can sort of replace the bottom six role. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of offensive upside. And Zach Bogosian, I mean, he's taking less to stay in, to go back to Tampa. And then Brian Elliott, I think, was actually great for them because I know how great Vasilevsky is, but I think it allows him to kind of slow it down as the season goes on. It's a huge grind of 82 games, and I think Brian Elliott can really help and allow Vasilevsky to not play as many games as he did. So there, I'm done. No, it's all good. And I mean, Brian Elliott, it's going to aid Vasilevsky 100%. And you have to look at it this way as well. Last season was, I believe, 56 games was the regular season, or that was how long the teams had to play. You're going now jumping to 82. So I think this is going to affect Vasilevsky and just about every goaltender in the National Hockey League. Yeah, you're used to playing a regular season. Uh, you're used to running 82 games. Usually you're going to start maybe half of those, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, depending on the situation your team is in. But now with Ryan Elliott, there's a lot of stability that you can work with. You have a lot of pieces that you can use to uh, aid Andre Vasilevsky, which is a, always a positive with this team. And it just benefits them in their hunt for that 3 peak. Now I'm going to get quickly into the offseason for the Maple Leafs. We all know what it's about. We've been hearing it for months now about what this team's going to be, who they brought in, and how they can perform under this new, uh, I wouldn't say mentality, but the, I, I would think it's a new mentality heading into the season with the Toronto Maple Leafs after an ugly, ugly collapse last season in the or last playoff to the Montreal Canadiens. And it hurts even more to be out of division rival nonetheless. So we're going to get into the offseason of moves with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They acquired Nick Ritchie from the Boston Bruins, signed for a two-year deal $5 million. Andre Cassie was also included mm. in that Boston Bruins package. They signed him for one year at 1.25. Michael Bunting made his way from Arizona, signing a two-year contract with the Maple Leafs. Curtis Gabriel made his way from San Jose, signing a one-year league minimum deal. David Kempf uh, signing a two-year $3 million deal. The biggest fish of them all, Peter Mrazek, three years at 11.4. And if you want to rerun the tape any longer, Dermott re-signed just prior to the expansion draft two years at $3 million, and you want to rewind the tape even further than that, Wayne Simmons re-signing for two years at $1.8 million all the way back in June. Big question here. Are the Leafs better or worse? Hyman's gone. Freddie's gone. Bogosian makes his way to Tampa, his former team. And this one hurt me a lot. I already published an article that you can catch on my uh my uh, article page, the Leafs line, uh, Leafs Madness page, uh, you can find it there. I published an article just a couple weeks ago on Nick Foligno expressing my opinions and what it means for the Leafs, the Bruins, and, of course, uh, both parties as well. And Nick Foligno, he is making his way to one of the Maple Leafs' biggest divisional rivals of them all. So a lot of guys come in, a lot of guys go out. I'll start with you, Jared. Who do you see uh, coming out on top? Are the Leafs better or worse with these guys coming in? Um, well, as much as I'd like to say that they got better, uh, you can't really say that you won the offseason when you lose a guy like Zach Hyman, who's such an important part of this team. Uh, 
However, I do think, uh, considering the situation where everyone knew Hyman was going to be gone, I do think the Leafs did very well for themselves and made a lot of very smart moves. Uh, getting a lot cheaper of a guy uh, such as Nick Ritchie to replace that role that Zach Hyman plays, I think was a very smart move. Uh, and I really like the offseason the Leafs had. As I mentioned, I don't think I'd answer that they got better. I, I do think uh, when you lose a guy like Zach Hyman, your team does ultimately get worse. However, I, I think they had a really smart offseason as a team. I really like the addition of a guy like Nick Ritchie uh, for $2.5 million per year. We have him locked down for two years. I think that's a very smart addition. He slots into the uh, uh, top six. He's a left winger, which is a position of need for the Leafs. And I think he's a very strong, big body type of player, which is what the Leafs need. Uh, just going through all, pretty much all the players that the Leafs got, uh, talking about Andre Kasha, I think that, again, is a very low-risk move, which I think could very much uh, end up benefiting this team moving forward. Uh, it's low risk because a few years ago, the Anaheim Ducks had this player, Andre Kasha, and he was great. Uh, then he ended up getting injured, and now we're basically signing him at a very cheap $1.25 million deal. Uh, and the gamble is basically, will he live up to what he used to be like on Anaheim, or will he not? And if he ends up living up to that, it's phenomenal. If not, we have $1.25 million tied into him. It's not exactly breaking the bank. Uh, we're fine. So I, I think those were both very smart additions. We took them from our rivals, the Boston Bruins, which I guess makes me a little bit happy. Uh, I think those were those were great additions to the team. Bunting, I think, is also a great player. He plays that left wing, uh, and he could kind of slot in anywhere. I think he'll start off the season at third line, and we'll kind of see from there. I, I think overall, this is just a really smart offseason. I can't say it's better because losing Zach Hyman is going to hurt, but uh, I, I think it was pretty smart. And Getting Peter Mrazek, of course, uh, with a fully tandem of Campbell and Mrazek, I is actually pretty strong going into this season. I think $3.8 million per year is a bit hefty for a player like him. However, I, I think it could end up being a pretty strong goalie tandem, and I'm really excited for this season. And it would be, I think a lot of Leafs fans would side with you as well, Jared, that the step back is more than uh, prevalent in this situation. And I think it was mostly expected like you have a guy with Hyman and it was just I would consider it a tragedy that he had to leave because he he, he was a, such a great player I think he wanted to stay in Toronto I think he loves the city I think he loves playing with his team and I think his role is perfect with this squad but the Leafs had no money to give him and I don't think Dubas would be it'd be would it would be fair with Dubas and to Zach Hyman all the work that he's put into your organization to give him and try to give him a cheap deal because you don't got the money to work with and no matter which guys you move around uh, you're not going to make any anywhere near the amount of cap space that you need to keep Zach Hyman. And yeah, he went to Edmonton. It's going to be a tough pill to swallow. It still is. And seeing him in those colors is extremely uh, disorienting. But I don't know. Zach Hyman, I think he got overpaid in Edmonton. I don't think he was worth that much money, but definitely worth a lot of money. And he made every single penny of it. And uh, it's sad to see him go. He was personally my favorite player. We touched upon this in a, lo a long time ago in the episodes when he left the team. But... Uh, it's a tough blow for the Maple Leafs, and it's hard to say they got better when you lose a very valuable piece like that. But I love the approach, and the approach is the big thing that we're going to be looking forward to with this offseason and seeing if it comes to fruition, if Dubis uh, made a right call with any of these guys. I mentioned this to you, Jared, earlier when we were talking. He basically got a bunch of things uh, in the offseason, a bunch of players, a bunch of assets, and trying to throw them to the wall and seeing what sticks. And if any of these guys stick, if Michael Bunting seems to maybe turn his mentality that has been so keen on being uh, relied on as a Zach Hyman sort of mentality-wise, if he can turn his game into that, 
there's a win right there. Andre Cassidy, if you can put up another season where I believe he put up 30 once, uh, if you can see Andre Cassidy do that, there's another steal for 1.25 million. Nick Ritchie, I think you know a little bit more of what you're going to get from this guy. And if he can just continue to provide what they did in Boston last season, especially on that second power play unit, uh, I think it's a great addition for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about all these guys. I want to give the light to some of you guys as well. Uh, Adama, what do you make of the Leafs' offseason moves? And did they get better or worse? And what would you grade it in specific? Okay, so, sorry, to address the better or worse, um, I know it's a podcast and I'm supposed to be interesting, but I'm going to give, they're literally the same. I don't think they're nor, I don't think they're better and I don't think they're worse. Um, I think the goaltending was definitely an upgrade. Uh, the defensive core is literally the exact same. I guess losing your number six defenseman in Zach Bogosian uh, is whatever. You replace him with someone else in the system. Um, in terms of being up, up front, yeah, losing Zach Hyman sucks. And as much as it sucks, you got to move on. And that's what the Leafs did, bringing in Nick Ritchie, who is not quite Zach Hyman, but similar in the fact that they'll use their body, their, you know, both GTA, or uh, maybe not GTA, but Ontario boys that were Leaf fans. Um, bringing in Andre Kasha again, great, great, great signing. I don't like that there's, you know, I don't like that there's no term on it, but I understand why there's no term on it because um, if he gets injured. Uh, but every other signing is whatever. Curtis Gabriel, I think that's a pretty under-the-radar signing. I know he's a pretty hard worker. Uh, he's a fantastic person off the ice. I think that's a great community, great player to have in the community. Um, Travis Dermott is – I have a per personal, I'll say, connection to him just because we went to the same high school. So – I have a soft spot for him. Uh, so I think that 1.5 is justified, but he could be a trade piece, which is what I'm a little concerned about because I think he's a phenomenal player. And that's not even me being biased. I think Travis Dermott has the potential to be a top four defenseman if he isn't already. We saw it a few years ago when uh, a bunch of the players went down and Travis Dermott had to step into a top four role. He did pretty well. I'd say he held his own. And uh, I think we forgot to mention it, but Nikita Gusev signing a professional tryout with the Leafs is a very, very interesting thing. Um, just pulling up Gusev's stats right now. He's played for last season was the, um, the Devils and uh, Panthers, where he put up 10 points in 31 games, which is whatever. But the season before that, 44 points, 66 games. In, with the Devils, you know, not a very good hockey team. I think, you know, I, I guess we also got to mention Josh Hosang. I know not really a big deal, but two guys that with a lot of potential to make this team. And if they don't, it's whatever. It's a professional tryout. So I don't think I gave my grade, but I gave them a B minus just because we kind of missed out on that big winger that I guess – in hindsight, we knew it wasn't going to happen, but it just really sucked knowing Blake Coleman was there, Taylor Hall was there, Gabriel Landeskog was there, and we swung and missed on all of them. But overall, decent offseason. Yeah, 100%. I was going to touch upon the Gusev uh, information as well. Uh, he signed to another professional tryout along with, uh, I believe it's Josh Hosang from the New York Islanders. He was signed to one a couple months earlier. So uh, two guys who like Dubas's plan, I guess, throw a bunch of things to the wall, see what sticks. And if it happens, it happens. And 
good for him if it works out. But I'm going to turn this one over to you quickly, Evan, before we get into just the Maple Leafs uh, mindset going into the season and these big questions that have to be answered in the offseason. But first, Evan, what do you make of the offseason for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, they brought in guys like Peter Mrazek, Curtis Gabriel, Michael Bunting, so on, so on. Uh, do the do the pros outweigh the cons is the better question. I mean, I, I think, but I don't know, because you lose Zach Hyman, who was your first line winger with Matthews and Marner. And he was that guy that was doing the dirty work in the corners to get Matthews and Marner opportunities and looks. And I just, I don't know who on that roster and replaces Zach Hyman. And he was also your guy on the penalty kill that would sacrifice any bit of him to make sure that a puck didn't go in the back of the net. So I think that's a huge loss that it's really going to show this season and I believe that, um, you know, you get Peter Morazic. He had a couple injuries last year. You know, towards the end of the year, he was in and out of the lineup. So, you know, hopefully that contract turns out well. Um, I think getting Andre Kasha for one and a quarter million was a really good signing because I think you paid just – I think you paid for exactly what he's worth. Like, I don't – like, I think one and a quarter million is perfect for a guy like him. And I think Nick Ritchie for two years at five million. I mean, he was a guy that was on Boston's power play one unit, just parking his butt right in front of that net, you know, getting some of the dirty goals, but also just providing a screen in front. You know, that could be huge for a guy like Austin Matthews, who loves to be at the top of the circle and just wrist it right past the goalie. Um, I think re-signing Simmons was a great thing just to add some toughness. And you're also getting that with Curtis Gabriel. I just see Simmons being in the lineup longer. And uh, I mean, Travis Dermott, I mean, that he has potential. I, I like his game. You know, I think he would fit well. I think he continues to fit well with the Maple Leafs. My only thing is that if the Maple Leafs don't make it past the first round this year, I think Dubas is out the door. Like, I just, I think management is done because you need a new voice. You need a new leader. And I just think if, if they have another first round exit, I, I think Dubas is done. And uh, I, that's, that's my opinion. I don't view it as bo boom or bust, but if it's, it's first round it's past first round or bust like you just you got to get past the first round and yeah and what the st biggest struggle here from the leafs is that last season we thought was boom or bust and the season before i wouldn't say we thought it was strictly boom or bust but we thought there would be a little bit more to it than another first round exit this is a common theme with the toronto maple leafs i know all you leafs fans know it we all know it on the show where they go have a terrific season like they did last year and just can't get it done in the playoffs. And last year, uh, this past season, coming at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens, a three-to-one collapse. And to think we were this close to making our uh, breaking the curse, I have never seen in my life the Maple Leafs advance around. So I can't even say how they would do to favor as a Stanley Cup uh, possibility because I've never seen how they could handle the next opponent. They can never take the second punch because they can't even take the first one. So these are big questions that are going to have to be answered. And one of the biggest one is. Where do we set the bar for this team? Jared, I'm going to turn it quickly over to you. And just uh, for time, I'm going to ask you guys all independent questions, rather. Uh, Jared, I'll start with you. Where do we set the bar for this team? Is it still the same way like last year, boom or bust? Or is it a little bit lower considering the divisional alignment is now in 
uh, the regular format. And we have to be a little bit uh, skeptical of what these other teams bring to the table and that we have to play them. Uh, first of all, play them. And second of all, play them a bunch of times in this upcoming season. Um, well, to answer your question, I mean, you're still talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto hockey market in general. And uh, with that, because it's so high pressure, you're always going to have that uh, pressure to be the best, uh, pressure to go far. Every time we lose, you're going to hear it from the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base and just all the, the media people. Uh, so again, the, the pressure is very high and the bar is high. However, after last season, I think it's pretty clear that the expectation isn't unbelievable uh considering we literally have failed to advance out of the first round every year's uh for many years in a row and we have not made it out of the first round since 2004 so as much as there's a lot of pressure there and the bar is set high we still have a strong roster uh it is pretty clear that people are only hoping for a, a first round like getting out of the first round like right now the hope isn't go out and win the cup it is we start with getting out of the first round and we move from there and I mean, I'm going to go quickly to Evan's point here that he mentioned. And I was going to get to it uh, over here. What if if they don't get past that first round? What does this mean for Dubis? I'll start with you, Adamo. What do you, what if the Leafs can't slay that demon of their first round exits, and they continue this season? Say the season goes along, they make the playoffs, they get in, and they find themselves in the same spot as they are right now, still unable to make their way to the second round. Where does Dubis uh, this time next year? Like, is he still with the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team? Is he moving somewhere else with another squad? Like, what's going to happen? Because we looked at it last season on the boom and bust mentality. Uh, the trade deadline was a pretty solid reminder that the Maple Leafs were going all in. And uh, don't let the Amazon Prime title of their new show fool you. It is strictly an all-or-nothing season that they were just uh, finishing up. And when you look at the trade deadline, they acquired Nick Foligno for a first-round pick. The one of the most massive overpayments I've seen in most recent years of this Maple Leafs team, and there's been a lot of them, but this one stands out uh, quite a bit. So where is Dubas going to be if the Maple Leafs don't sort of get past the first round next season, Adamo? What do you think of this sort of storyline that could most definitely, if you're looking at how history has been playing out, come to fruition? So I'm actually going to disagree with Evan. I'm actually going to go full 180, and I'm going to say Dubas is one of the most valuable assets to the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. Um, I think Marner and Nylander are probably, one of those two are probably out the door. I think it should be Marner. Should be out the door before Kyle Dubas, just because he's put this team, he's kept this team in such a situation to succeed. He's cleaned up some of the messes from Lula Morello, the Zaitsev contract, all those, you know, middle, middle six forward contracts. He's done all this. I don't, at some point, it's just not Dubas' fault. Like, Dubas, it's not Dubas' fault that Tavares' knee, or sorry, Tavares had that injury. It's not It's not Dubas' fault that Jake Muzzin was stretchered out one year and then missed Game 7 another year. I think Kyle Dubas is an extremely smart guy, and I don't think the rest of the league is giving him the credit he deserves. Like, our worst contract is probably David Kampf, or, or maybe, I guess, John Tavares. Ooh, what a terrible contract to have what a terrible player to have john Tavares. there's no way he can go before any of the big maybe maybe not matthews but i i just i honestly i don't see him leaving in the near future and if he does i think a team will snag him up like it's nothing 
And I mean, this is the debate for the next couple. We'll be talking about this throughout the year, depending on where we find the Maple Leafs during our time of discussion. But uh, Evan, you make up some really good points. Damo, you the same way. I mean, this can go both ways. Does it rely? Does it lie on the players, or does it lie on the GM? Now, if you look at the contracts that Dubis has made during his tenure with the Maple Leafs, there's a lot more good ones than bad ones. I mean, you look at the Marner one. Yeah, it was a bit of an overpayment. The Tavares one. I think was uh, was needed at that time with the Maple Leafs. I think they needed that. They needed a captain. They needed a leader. And they need something to happen with this team. And I think Tavares sparked that and a bit of optimism into this group. And there's just a lot of things that Dubas can't control. You mentioned the injury to Tavares, the injury to Muzzin, um, Nick Foligno being unable to re-sign him because you don't got the money to do so. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I find it a little tedious to put it all on and I think it's a very easy exit to put it all, all on Dubas, but I think it's just basically hockey, and I think that's what Evan is kind of pointing to, where it's hockey. If your team isn't performing, we saw with Babcock, if your team isn't performing under him, you need a change. Now, it's it's going to be relying on the players, and it's going to be relying, after that, the management. And I think that's when we're going to be having this big discussion with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I think that concludes it. I think we've just covered all the bases with this Maple Leafs team. We'll obviously be talking about them a lot more in the upcoming weeks of the show. It is Leafs Line Podcast, so we're going to have a lot of content coming your way. Don't you worry. But I think that concludes, uh, I guess this is week 30, the debut of season two of the Leafs Line Podcast. I want to thank you guys all for tuning in. I want to thank the guys on the show here. This is our first time ever going on the air with uh, this group. So I thank you guys all for tuning in. I think it's going to be an exciting upcoming season to debate the Maple Leafs and any other team in the National Hockey League. So next week, uh, tune in for, I believe we're going to get into the Metropolitan grades and offseason grades for those teams. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun one. There's going to be a very one I'm looking forward to, an interesting topic, the Carolina Hurricanes. A lot of mixed feelings and a mixed bag with those players and their signings and the GM and how they treated uh, the players in the organization. We'll be getting to that next week. But for this week, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, and it's going to be a fun coming up. Hockey is just a month away, so don't you worry, fans. It is on the rise. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, boys, for coming on to the show, and I will see you guys all next week. Cheers, everyone.